and welcome back to Love at First Screening, the show where usually my friend, co-host, and rom-com enthusiast Madison, that's me, introduces me, Chelsea, the resident genre skeptic, to all the cliche, feel good, questionable, romantic, sometimes humorous, definitely hilarious, films I've never wanted to watch. This week, however, we're mixing things up. I'm in the driver's seat, baby. I'm the captain now, and I can do whatever I want. Feel free to get to the point whenever you are ready. All right, fine. (laughs) This week, we are discussing the 2019 film Straight Up. It was written, directed, and produced by James Sweeney, who also stars as Todd in the film alongside Katie Findlay, who many people might recognize as Rebecca Stutter from the ABC hit show How to Get Away with Murder with Viola Davis. That's not how I recognized her. <laughs> oh, how did? where did you know her from? I kept looking at her and I was like, I've seen her before. She's in the Carrie Diaries. <laughs> All right. Katie Findlay also in the Carrie Diaries. Yes, she had a great arc. She was the best friend. There was an abortion arc. She had one. It was very touching. She was a great actress. All right. For those of you who didn't already watch this movie or have no interest in watching it because you only like to listen to Madison and I speak, which we're flattered, by the way, and happy to accommodate. So here's what you need to know about Straight Up. It is the story of Todd, who is a 20-something guy from Los Angeles with OCD, who in the past has had romantic relationships with men, but he seems to have an aversion of bodily fluids and decides that perhaps he's discounted the idea that maybe he is heterosexual or has some heterosexual tendencies. And he decides that he wants to try dating women. So when he meets Rory, who is for all intents and purposes, his intellectual soulmate, he decides that he's going to give dating her a whirl. Of course, this idea to go from being gay to being straight, question mark, is not met with much support by his two friends, Meg and Ryder. Even his therapist has a few questions. However, (laughs) he pursues the relationship, and as you might expect, there are some roadblocks. But the roadblocks seem to be more about people's expectations on the outside and not so much about how the relationship functions itself. In the end, we get to a point where Rory and Todd have had to have all kinds of conversations about what role sex will play, if any, in their relationship and whether they are meant to be together. And if they are, in what capacity they should be together. And it all comes to a sort of ambiguous ending in which we see them sitting together with some other man, but we don't really know who that man is and what his relationship is to either one of them. Now I guess I will, I have the honor for the very first time of guessing whether or not Madison enjoyed this. And I'm fairly confident in my assertion that you enjoyed this movie. I loved this movie. It was the weirdest. I did. Okay. I didn't expect anything that happened in this movie at all. I went in completely blind. As you should. I often go in completely blind. (laughs) Yes. It was truly excellent. And 
It's weird because my first reaction to it was, oh my god, this movie is still going, but not in the way of like, oh, it won't end, like, you know, Sweet Home Alabama or uh, Rosalind, where it's like, oh my gosh, this is still going. Um, no, instead it's like, how much more story can they tell? They've This just spans so much, like, they packed in so much to this movie, and I think it was only like an hour and 36 minutes something close to that so it's not a long movie either but it just spans so many different points and I think the biggest part of that was probably the speed of the dialogue more than anything at all times but it was so freaking good and anyone who knows me knows that I am a particular fan of queer romance because it is always done better and no one can change my mind uh, except for that horrible Kristen Stewart movie, the holiday one. I, mm, she should have ended up with Aubrey Plaza, but that's beside the point. It was a great movie. So 10 out of 10 for our first reverse episode. Fantastic. So uh, for those with tally boards at home, Chelsea's winning. <laughs> that's very true. Now, I will say that you're winning in terms of liked movies chosen. But are you winning in terms of rom-coms? We'll get to that. We don't want to rush. This is a nice and slow episode because I have so much I want to wander through. When I suggested that we watch this movie, I was like, Madison will like this. I was pretty confident. It premiered uh, originally in July of 2019 at Outfest, which is a film festival. This is an indie movie that was funded through Seed and Spark. In my research for like me being the expert about, <laughs> on this film, I went down, you know, one of my famous Google rabbit holes, uh, although it, this one had more of a purpose than me just wondering something and then questioning it and following it to <laughs> some kind of conclusion, mostly Chelsea go to bed now. Uh, <laughs> no, this one, you know, obviously I um, was learning a little bit about it. There was a, a short film, which you can find online called Normal Doors, which was sort of the basis for this film, is sort of the same idea, except it just takes place as a, at a party. And the Todd character and the Rory character misunderstand. The theme of the party is S&M, uh, like Rihanna's S&M. But Todd comes as the green M&M. <laughs> and Rory comes as Eminem the rapper. <laughs> and it sort of draws inspiration like stylistically from the movie with Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors in which she misses a train or she gets on the train and then from there you see like two different pathways of her life so it kind of there's that element uh in this uh short film um which I did enjoy but I, and I can see where they expanded on certain things and another idea for this film that was you know why it was an indie film and not a mainstream film is uh, James Sweeney, who uh, is Todd in the film, but also wrote and directed, was sort of looking at the idea of an anti-leading man, uh, somebody who's not conventionally attractive and not even just not conventionally attractive. He's also, you know, he's struggling with OCD. He's queer. He's an Asian man. He's also biracial. Like these are all, and I want to talk about that later because I think there's a lot of ways in which this character is othered. And I actually think that positions him really interestingly in his reception of outside criticism versus Rory's reception of outside criticism. But we'll get into that. Um, but yeah, so 
this is uh it's a project they you know he wanted to talk about things um especially things within the queer community that don't get talked about a lot um asexuality bisexuality and also you know mental health this movie was taking a rom-com and trying to make it look a little bit different than i think other rom-coms do which is why when i pitched this to madison i said if it's not a rom-com it's romantic comedy adjacent (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i i completely agree with that and i think what made this movie because there were a lot of stylistic choices like you know with the um videography of it it felt very intentional the moments where they're split apart in the scenes you can see them both interacting on screen in different areas how they tend to be positioned like brighter and more awkward than others. It played up the quirks of the characters themselves, which was then just fully, in case you didn't know, that these were just really different from the status quo type characters. Then they bring in dialogue that would truly rival Amy Sherman Palladino. I mean, when they first hang out after meeting at the library that whole sequence afterwards I felt like I had sprinted I was like gasping like oh my god because it was just wall-to-wall dialogue for I don't even know how long it was truly impressive yeah so if you haven't yet watched this film and you like Gilmore Girls or Marvelous Mrs. Maisel any of Amy Sherman Palladino's work Uh, I think you'd really like this film. I mean, that's very early on. They make reference to Gilmore Girls. Uh, Obviously, Rory's name reminds Todd of Rory Gilmore. And they're both fans. Uh, So it's very clear, like, okay, this is sort of an homage to, to that kind of very quick, very anecdotal, very, like, it has a reference for everything in a wide array of subjects. Both of these people are highly intelligent. And, you know, it's funny when I, so I, I first saw this movie when it came out on Netflix, which I think was early 2020. And I immediately went online and looked up reviews of it because I was like, this film is wild. And I have to know what everyone else is thinking about it. And a lot of the early reviews that I saw from, you know, average people that encountered the film on Netflix, not critics, I kept seeing like, yeah, it was fun, but like the dialogue was really unrealistic. And that aggravated me because I was like, it's not supposed to be realistic. (laughs) Yeah, it's no. supposed to exaggerate and emphasize the fact that both of these people are highly intelligent, you know, like in comparison to some of the other characters that you see with any sort of frequency, they speak a lot quicker. They're a lot quippier. They're a lot wittier. And it creates this kind of bubble around the two of them that no one else can penetrate. And I think that overall contributes to the closeness that they share, which is sort of the point of the whole film. I'm sorry, my middle school humor just wants to point out that they have a bubble that they can't penetrate. Oh my god, Matt. (laughs) And the whole point is that they're not having sex. You know, it's so interesting. So there's two different taglines that I've seen on movie posters. I think the one most often that I've seen is like, all talk, no sex, which, all right, sure. But the one that I liked more was that I thought was more interesting uh, was he might be gay. She might not care. (laughs) (laughs) That's so perfect. Yes. 
So we have two, I think, main elements that are going on in the film. Obviously, the characters as individuals and more so with Todd, how his identity, like it's something he's questioning. Those identity questions are contributing to the second part of the film, which is the relationship between him and Rory. And what exactly is their relationship to one another? How does that relationship look on the outside? What are other people's expectations of not just their relationship, but really any relationship? I think this film really calls into question. um, Like, okay, if you liked or were interested in anything that I said uh, back in episode two, where I said maybe Drew Barrymore and Hugh Grant should have just been close business partners and friends, and maybe they didn't need to be in love. I think this film, probably the reason I like it is because I feel like it, it follows that uh, train of thought is like, what if this is a couple that doesn't look like other couples? You and I both have uh, asexual friends. You know, that is a possibility that Todd brings up at some point to his therapist that maybe he's a hetero romantic asexual. And so even though it's very brief, we get at least a glimpse or enough that maybe someone might, uh, you know, go down a Google rabbit hole about the split attraction model and things like that. I think that my favorite part about this film is that it does get to the heart of loving someone so much that it's very much like a romantic relationship with the amount of love and affection that you have for one another and how in a lot of ways I would still I would still classify their relationship as romantic just with the sort of style and type of love and the intensity you just don't have a physical element and I think that that is something that's not explored enough in media. But I also really want to draw to the fact that there are so many movies where it's like, oh, you're my best guy friend. You're my best gay guy friend. And you have this weird objectification and also almost simultaneous infantilization of the quote unquote gay best friend that you see a lot. And none of that happened here. I will say that the character Meg, she was ostensibly horrible. And you know how I love side characters. To me, a truly great, usually book, it's really, it's much harder to obtain in movies. But a really good side character is just my favorite thing if they're well developed. I will say that this movie didn't really have any, but that's fine. Because there was so much going on with the main characters that you didn't really need it. But Meg would be that character who's like, this is my GBF. And act as if it's like a Paris Hilton dog in a tote bag. And I was just glad that that didn't happen here. It was, it stayed that pure, that deep love that really what it boils down to is it's that type of love where that person knows you so well that it's much like you know if you ever lost that it's much like the uh beautiful taylor swift lyric uh (laughs) chelsea's face if you guys could see it but it's like that beautiful taylor swift lyric from new year's day where she goes um don't ever become a stranger whose laugh i could recognize anywhere that degree of intimacy of just knowing someone so completely 
that to lose them would be unbearable. And that's really what this movie is about. And if that's not at its core, you know, the most pure love, I don't know what is. Well, okay, so what you said about the GBF, the gay best friend character that has been around for a while and for a really long time was the only sort of representation that queer folks had at all. And it was a lot of like tokenization inside films that's not super great. A lot of these characters were really just meant to be laughed at and really just there to support the main characters. I say this is a queer film and not not so much a gay rom-com or like a a queer rom-com, but like a queer film in the sense that this entire story is very interested in the idea of what it is to be othered. So when we look at Todd's friends, right, you have Meg, who is a straight woman, uh, and then you have Ryder, who is uh, a gay man. And both of them have very decided ideas of who Todd is. And one of the very first scenes with all of them, they're in a diner and both Ryder and Meg are like, you can't just date women because you don't like the men you've been dating. Like you can't just decide you're straight. And Todd's rebuttal to that at first is like, I, from day one, have been told that I'm gay because, and like, I I think one of the first things out of, I don't know if it's Meg or Ryder says like, you're gay, Todd. Your favorite movie is Legally Blonde. And that is the GBF character. That's where being gay isn't even really a sexual identity or a sexual orientation. It is more about the fact that your personal interests don't align with what society has dictated as appropriate pastimes for your gender. And Todd then is like, but that's the thing. I've been told all my life because of my interests. I've just been told that I'm gay and I, you know, okay, it made sense. I didn't fit in with these people, but I have never really considered this and I'm not happy uh, with my dating life. So maybe it's time to try something new. And I think there's a stigma with people exploring their sexuality and In so many other ways, young people are encouraged to explore facets of their personality. They can try new things, take up art, take up a sport, read a different genre of book. And then when it comes to exploring your sexuality, exploring your romantic orientation, all of a sudden there's a there's a huge like, whoa, 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 hold on, slow your roll there. For argument's sake, if Todd is gay, he fits the stereotypical image for the most part of what people would associate with a, a gay man. He he is that image of a 90s rom-com gay best friend, right? But he's like, but I don't know. And at the same time, you have folks on the other end of the spectrum that like maybe they seem very straight. I mean, you and I, uh, I introduced you to uh, <laughs> Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall and the character Oliver oh. is very like Yes. Conservative in how he dresses and acts and all of his friends are straight. And my point is like people's perception of what it is to be gay is very skewed. Gay people come in all shapes and sizes. Queer folks do not look all the same. Just because one does something doesn't mean this other person is also going to be that way. 
And so when you have Todd opposite these two people in his life that are his friends, one of whom represents straight folks. God, what a representation. I know, right? <laughs> Meg is a is a is a straight woman. And then Ryder, you see that a lot of times when you don't identify as like gay or lesbian, if you are anything else under the rainbow, there's a lot of scrutiny both from outside the community and from within it. And that's what Ryder's doing very importantly in this film, representing the fact that even queer folks can have incorrect opinions and assumptions about other queer folks. And the fact that both of these characters are pretty unlikable helps any audience member be able to understand that these are not people you're supposed to take seriously even when perhaps they have valid concerns the way that they interact with Todd is just it's very unsupportive and you know you feel for Todd because Todd's not trying to trick anybody Todd's just trying to be happy <laughs> that's all Todd wants he wants companionship which is something I think anybody can understand and Todd wants to not be alone that's what he he tells his therapist early on in the film or it might be actually towards the middle she says what do you want is it love is it sex and she he goes I don't know I know what I don't want I don't want to be alone for the rest of my life oh god that hits so freaking hard and I think there was really interesting dialogue between Ryder and Todd when Todd introduces the idea of him dating women Ryder specifically sort of used his history against him as well of like you've never been with a woman before you've never pursued a woman you've only ever been with guys and I think that also underscores the constant argument against bisexuality. If you say, you know, I'm a bisexual woman, well, you've only been with men. That doesn't negate that there is attraction and interest. It's just not something that, you know, maybe they've had the opportunity to pursue. They felt safe to pursue or they haven't, you know, it, it's a more recent occurrence that they're like, oh, yeah, because they had to unlearn a lot of like a very much one way or the other. I would say that as a society, we're only really now becoming comfortable with the notion, even in queer communities of being interested in both and that also does not mean that they want to fuck everything that walks for anyone listening who's unaware yeah and i also think it's important too that sex is the thing that todd is uncomfortable with why is he uncomfortable with it well that's sort of the question but honestly it's none of our business as an audience and it's really none of his friends business it's not anybody's business except for his own and potentially anyone he would be in a relationship with and might be sleeping with. And the focus on sex as the like integral part of anybody's sexuality. And I know, I know that might sound a little odd, but you know, it's sort of like when we have conversations about children understanding that they're want to fall in love with boys or girls or other folks, people are like, children can't know that because very correctly, we are uncomfortable talking about children and sex in the same 
uh, sentence. But the thing is, is that nobody's actually saying that. When we're talking about sexuality, we are also talking about romantic interest in folks. And just general attraction as well. I'm so sad that I did not text the person that would know the answer to this question off the top of their head. But there are nine different types of attraction. I will name a few but not all of them because I don't know all of them off the top of my head. There's sexual attraction, romantic attraction, sensual attraction, platonic attraction, aesthetic attraction. That's five. I know that there's more. I know there's nine. But anyway, so the point is, is that for many folks, a lot of these align. And so we sort of confuse them as all the same thing, but they're not. And for some folks, and maybe more than actually realize it because we've just been told that these are all the same thing or they all go together, which they can. They don't have to go together. So perhaps, you know, the thing Todd says, perhaps he's a uh, heteroromantic, asexual, meaning that he doesn't experience sexual attraction to anyone, but he experiences uh, romantic attraction for women. Or conversely, uh, you know, the other thing that keeps being brought up throughout this whole film is that maybe he's bisexual. So in this instance, he's asexual, but bi-romantic, meaning he's interested in women and other folks as well, but he doesn't experience sexual attraction to anybody. And so the fact that Meg and Ryder are intensely concerned with who he has or has not slept with in the past who he will or will not sleep with in the future is not only invasive, but it's also very invalidating of his feelings. He's a very intelligent person, but he might not totally understand himself, but he understands himself enough to be able to say, I don't want this. And yet no one takes him seriously. Even his therapist, I mean, his therapist takes him a little bit more seriously. I also think there's moments there that are supposed to be humorous. You know, he's like, you're not supposed to laugh at me, which first of all, laughing at him in session was unprofessional. But then she's like, (laughs) he's like, I don't pay you to laugh at me. And then she says, your parents are the ones that pay me. I want it noted that my parents also pay for my therapy because growing up, my mom specifically would tell me, look, we're not going to pay for your college. We're not going to pay for a wedding. We're not going to do any of that. What we will do is pay for your therapy because that'll be way more expensive in the long run. And we probably owe you that after, you know, all the shit that you've had to deal with with us raising you. And so when I was 23 and was like, hey, mom, uh, I think I need to go to therapy. She's like, all right, bet. (laughs) I love that. So, yeah. So that's a fun fact about me and my relationship with my parents. But getting back to the topic, I completely agree because I don't think that there's a single person who can watch this movie and say that what Rory and Todd have is not a real legitimate relationship. I mean, they're doing the cliche of finishing each other's sandwiches, speaking in unison by accident, which I can tell you, you know, being... In a long-term relationship and spending time with someone to that degree, you do that. But I've done that with best friends and I've done that with people like roommates that I've lived with that I spent a lot of time with. And what it is, is it's just the deepest development of a relationship. I would say that Rory is a very proud person. That's definitely one of her character traits. And the moment when she got in the shower with him, when he let her get in the shower with him, which I could feel was a huge concession on his part. 
But the fact that she got in and cried in front of him, that scene was one of the most intimate scenes that I have ever watched because it was just complete vulnerability and concession on both parts. She's going to be vulnerable in front of him as a really proud person. And as a person of routine and space, he's going to let her break that just for that moment. And I thought that was beautiful. It's a really emotional part of the movie. And you can see that they're both willing to make concessions. And they both feel comfortable being vulnerable like that in front of the other person. The first part of the film, you know, when they're meeting each other, which, by the way, the montage of them when they get to the they're gonna house sit together and it's set to I think the song's called That Thing by Hazel English. It's I don't know, it feels warm and cozy. I I really, really like that montage. But the first kind of portion of the film is them, you know, there's like you said, there's lots of scenes where it's just dialogue, very quick. We get a lot packed into all of these scenes. There's sort of their like first date where they basically just spend eight to 10 hours talking to each other in various places in this large house that he's he's house sitting because he does that as a side hobby to meet people. Um. <laughs> Which is so funny. She's like, who do you meet? The owners? I loved that. And importantly, the fact that they haven't been having sex hasn't seemed to be an issue for either of them until they go to Ryder's birthday party. And so six months into their relationship, the fact that they haven't been having sex doesn't seem to be an issue for either of the people that are actually in the relationship, which is the important part. And it's not until they are confronted with people that seem to have these expectations about what them being in a relationship needs to look like. They're asking invasive questions about their personal lives. It's at that point that Rory is faced with, oh, wait, we don't have quote unquote normal relationship. And at that point, we get the first argument, which by the way, chef's kiss, the fact that they're arguing over Alanis Morissette's ironic. I'm sorry, Chelsea. I do believe that you uh, intended to say Grammy award-winning Canadian singer-songwriter Alanis Morissette's ironic off of her hit album, Jagged Little Pill. Thank you so much for correcting me. <laughs> I really am embarrassed that I neglected to share that. But no, they're they're arguing over what is and is not ironic. And Madison, you and I are both, uh, we both graduated from the same English program. We're both English nerds. And <laughs> the argument about what is and what is not ironic is beautiful. It's very, very oh, funny. So well orchestrated. It's also funny because my friends and I have a, I don't even know if I call it an inside joke. We all danced in a very weird group at my friend's wedding to the song. Not like choreographed. We just sort of spun in a circle singing at the top <laughs> of our lungs and and the rest of the wedding guests were like, the fuck is going on? We asked the DJ 12 times, are you sure you're ready to play that song? And he's like, calm down. Never have I ever been asked to play ironic at a wedding. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> anywho, they have this argument and, you know, she is like, you're gay. And he's like, I am possibly bisexual if you feel obliged to pigeonhole me into a category of sexual identity that you can easily apprehend. And that 
line is really important because that's sort of the whole issue. That's the thesis. It's not that he doesn't know who he is and what he wants, even when he doesn't. It's that everyone else wants to be able to understand it. But the reason that they want to be able to understand it is entirely about them and has nothing to do with him, has nothing to do with them. The fact that their relationship is not easily identifiable for other people shouldn't be a problem. Other people shouldn't care. They're not hurting anyone and they're happy. And if they're your friends, you should want them to be happy, right? So they decide they're going to have sex. And that's when you have that. I think you talked about it earlier, the split screen, both getting ready, Todd kind of dilly dallying. He's like sitting on the on the counter in the in the bathroom looking at his watch because he really he's going to do this because he loves and cares about Rory and Rory wants to do this, but he doesn't. When they do have sex, it's awkward and Rory starts crying. I feel like this scene is it's about the sex being weird because it's not a facet of the relationship that I think either of them wanted. I also think it's important to note that it's implied that Rory has experienced some kind of sexual assault or trauma in her past. And so maybe that's why this wasn't super important to her. But again, I'd like to reiterate that really it's no one's business. And I think that what this film does really beautifully is it sort of offers all of these possible explanations, but it will never tell you definitively what the explanation is because it doesn't matter. We should respect people. We should just respect people. I, and, and also we shouldn't be so goddamn nosy. Absolutely. The last time that I was faced with the question of if I was going to call the person I was dating my boyfriend, I refused to put a label on it for over a year. Now, I I will say I'm a serial monogamous. It was an exclusive relationship, but I talked about it with my therapist so much. Why don't I want to call this that? And she was like, why do you have to? Who cares? Call him whatever. And yes, part of it is that I'm a massive commitment phobe. If you make plans with me, you either have to tell me the time, day, where we're going to do something, or tell me two hours in advance that it's happening and just force me to show up. Because otherwise I'm not doing anything or going anywhere or making any plans. And like watching this, I had that moment of, yeah, it really doesn't fucking matter. It never matters. It's the John Mulaney bit of, even though I'm I'm an Anna Marie Tendler stan, I just want uh, everyone to know my division in that division. But it's the John Mulaney bit where he's like, oh, this is growing great. Let's ask two old Catholic people to join in. It's that same idea of once you decide to put a label on something or once you decide to let other people into your relationship, you start giving them information about it, you are inviting opinions. And I hate that. I hate that so much. And I think that ultimately this movie captures so well why does it need to be anything more than happiness, than a closeness, Because it was only at that point of them trying to understand and assign and box up what they have that everything sort of started falling apart. And I will say that may be a bit reductive because you do have a character evolution of Rory deciding that she wants sex in the relationship. 
And he, <laughs> even though he offers to learn how to eat her out, which was so funny. I'm just imagining, like, the type of person that Todd is, that he's just, like, reading diagrams and watching YouTube videos about, like, you know, the best technique and treating it very, like, a clinical, you know, sort of thing. Um, and I know it wouldn't end well because there are bodily fluids involved from both recipients because saliva is a bodily fluid. Although he seems to be fine with that because they kiss throughout the movie. I loved how this movie had that and then I also hated how it broke down and I knew it had to break down, right? Because it's a rom-com or at least we'll, we'll get there and decide if that's how we want to classify it because I think a Jason's probably still the closest way to put it. So obviously just for the sake of plot there has to be a breakdown but it was one of the coziest relationships and when they had that wall-to-wall -wall dialogue right after they met, that wasn't filling empty space and empty air because it's there. It's that urge to know more. It's that back and forth ping pong volley of, well, what about this? What are your thoughts on this? And then you just dive down a rabbit hole. And those types of conversations are the most stimulating and you really do feel like you've run a marathon. And they mesh so well. Like, it's just, this was such a cute movie, Chelsea. And I'm so glad to have this in my life now. And it's all thanks to you. Again, for the record, I am winning. <laughs> she is. Although I do have one question about um, something that was said, like, really early on in the movie. When Todd was discussing how he could pursue a woman. Maybe he is, you know, either bisexual or even maybe heterosexual. He said that he could eat bean burritos and ride a motorcycle. And the motorcycle, I kind of understand, although I will say that biker shop wear, like leathers and stuff like that, is very present in the queer community. So I don't know if motorcycles are peak heterosexuality. How do bean burritos fit into that? I feel like it's the straight men never learn how to cook because they have a mother and then they'll have a wife. And so in that weird interim where they're without either, they're going to eat frozen burritos. Like the worst, mm. like they're not very good, a ton of preservatives, very simple. You buy them gotcha. in bulk and put them in the microwave. They're probably like a hot pocket, hot on both ends, but managed to be like ice cold in the center. Which, I know that was funny, but that's the Jim Gaffigan bit. That's not me. <laughs> credit where credit's due. That makes complete sense. I will now um, specifically believe that heterosexuality exists in the frame of bean burritos. Great. I think that was actually the agenda of this whole movie. You know, that's the straight agenda. Bean burritos. You heard it here first, folks. The straight agenda is bean burritos. Which makes it really uncomfortable, Chelsea, because... Bean Burritos are actually one of our sponsors for this episode, and we never want to perpetuate the straight agenda. That sounds so boring. Chunky highlights, Christian girl fall outfits only. Oh, God. Chelsea, what if we have to give young boys bowl cuts? That's a really straight thing to do. I'm terrified. I don't want that to support our podcast. I think we're going to have to pull out of the Bean Burrito deal. We got so much money from that. I put a down payment on stuff, Chelsea. How are we going to afford this? My morals are compromised. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> we really need to be better about pre-screening our advertisements. I mean, casual arson was fine. That didn't hurt anybody. But bean burritos? Speaking of problematic things, I loved how there were moments in this movie that made me so viscerally uncomfortable with what was happening on screen, just with what was being said. The scene with his dad at dinner, where he's just being overtly racist, and it's Randall Park, who I love as an actor. And so you have this amazing Asian man who's going on this horribly racist rant about Mexicans. And I was sitting there and I was like, I don't, I, I wasn't expecting this and I don't know how to react. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple moments throughout the film, but I feel like they're all framed in like, I think you're supposed to be shocked and uncomfortable with the person, especially that scene. I think that's probably like the longest moment where you're supposed to be uncomfortable with what's being said. But I also feel like importantly, like in that scene, Todd is like, dad and it's also very clear that even rory who is like no no no, let him finish she's making fun of his dad like so oh, it's very God, clear yeah. like you are not supposed to have the same opinion as this guy but yes randall park as todd's racist father was wow what a loop but you know speaking of his dad you know that was another moment they went home for thanksgiving afterward you know they're washing dishes and he hugs Todd and he tells him that he's proud of him and then immediately after we have a scene where Todd and Rory are giving each other massages in their pajamas and Todd stops to be like you know it was really nice to hear this from my dad but I couldn't help thinking if I had brought home a guy would he have just shaken my hand instead of giving me a hug would he have told me that he was proud of me would the turkey have been dry like would they have been disappointed and this is a very real thing and this goes back to my point about people wanting to be able to understand someone insofar as like a lot of people's frame of reference for the queer community is like I understand gay people like or I, I understand what that means I understand what lesbian means but there's other groups that I don't like I don't I don't know what that means um and it's frustrating to have these conversations with people sometimes because it's sort of like well you don't have to understand what it means to respect that person which if you're going to take anything away from what we've said it should be that I feel like importantly this is a, another example where parents can see more accepting of their children in straight relationships because they understand those dynamics. I'm a big fan of uh, Cameron Esposito, who is a comedian. Oh, I love. I love them, yeah. And um, I remember them talking about when they, you know, first came out to their parents, their parents being very scared about what their life would look like because their frame of reference for at the time, uh, you know, like lesbians was just, you're going to have a very difficult life. And that's not something that parents want for their kids. But I think that that worry can often be misplaced. And so I feel like Todd is worried that his parents are relieved that he's in a relationship with a woman. Rory comforts him in this moment. Like, I think they just want you to be happy. And Maybe that's naive. Like, I think there is something to Todd's worry. But I just, I really liked that moment. I thought it was really, like, you can tell that this movie was written by a, a, a queer person. Like, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can tell that 
there's a lot of thought because there's lots of these scenes that I think are completely skipped over when you have a writer's room full of of straight people that have I like have you met a gay person before you know what I mean <laughs> they're like I have a gay uncle yeah exactly so I really liked that well Chelsea is someone with multiple gay uncles I Oh, God. No, I completely agree. I think that just further underscores the running theme of otherness. You know, I've, I've had conversations with my mom about what it's like for children to come out to their parents. And, you know, she's like, as a parent, in that sort of instance, she goes, your automatic thought is... This is going to make their life harder. And she goes, but you have to reach that second step of, and thoughts like that are why. You have to reach the realization that the thought that this is going to be more difficult, expressing that is what makes it difficult. It's because you're saying people will not accept you. People will not like this. And what you need to do is not say anything because... They already know. They are already aware. One of the dearest people in my life, they came out to me after we went to a show. We came back and they looked at me and they said, hey, can I tell you something? And I'm like, yeah, you know, not thinking anything about it. And they go, I'm gay. And I said, that's cool. Thanks for telling me. And that was it. And that's the extent of the conversation that I really feel like You need to have, unless you have questions and they're willing to answer them because people, Google is free. And conversely, you don't need to ask anyone to do that. They don't need to come out to you. They don't owe you anything. And I think, again, that's the running theme of this movie. Once people feel like they are entitled to a personal element of your life, it can poke holes in it. Because suddenly expectations that are not yours and your partner's leak in. Because that's all that any type of relationship is. A healthy relationship is, and this has become a psychology podcast, so you're welcome. Um, If I've been in therapy for years, you get to benefit for free. My mom's paying for your therapy too. But as a disclaimer, neither of us are uh, licensed psychologists. No, this is not free therapy. This is me saying something that I think sounds right, but I'm not licensed in any way. Please don't sue me. But any type of relationship is essentially just ongoing creation of expectations where both parties have to agree to meet them. In the most simple terms, you know, you work a job, your boss says, get this done. You say, yep, I will do that, and it gets done. And if it doesn't get done, then, you know, there's the broken expectation, which can cause a rift in that relationship. And that's the same for friendships. That's the same for romantic relationships. That's the same for someone that you, you know, just occasionally have a dalliance with. You set an expectation of what the dynamic is, and if someone doesn't fulfill it, then it crumbles. But when you start allowing other people to suggest expectations, or when a person has an expectation that the other person hasn't agreed to, they don't live up to it, 
can the other person really be let down and feel genuine anger or frustration or sadness at the person who didn't know that they weren't living up to an expectation in the first place. And I think that this movie really underscores that idea when Todd was like, you said you didn't want to have sex. You said that wasn't important. And she goes, it's changed. And it's fine to change expectations. And it's fine to alter and change boundaries. But what melted down is there was just no communication about it all at all until everything blew up. And that's why it blew up. It was going to fall apart in a way anyway. But it could have fallen apart like, you know, what you can infer at the end. Like maybe that's a third partner. We don't know. It could just be a friend. I think that this movie does that so well, both in the co-managed expectations in the beginning, and then you can just see how they fall apart. And it was so genuine and real, even if some of the situation, a lot of the situations in the movie were really hyperbolic. Obviously, the dialogue was really hyperbolic in, um, you know, it was a very pressured speech. But in all of that, there were constants that were just true. And that was great. I think I mentioned this earlier, my sort of running thesis for why Todd is more willing to make this relationship work or try to figure out how it might be able to work. He's resistant to outside feedback more so than I feel like Rory is. He's experienced life as a gay man. He has OCD. Also, my guess would be depression, anxiety. He's dealt with mental health uh, issues uh, for most of his life. He is an Asian man. And not only is he an Asian man, he's also biracial. So even within those communities would have been othered. And so he's experienced a lot of people having opinions about who he is and, and where his place is in the world. Rory, conversely, as a straight woman, probably hasn't. And as much as she, they reference Malcolm Gladwell's outliers or even just the concept of being an outlier. She's talked about the fact that they are part of a generation that was told they could be anything and that they're special. And she was valedictorian and it's not supposed to mean anything except that she was better than the people that she graduated with. Her life's not working out the way that she wants it to. And I feel like she's not as prepared to deal with outside expectations. And so I'm not blaming Rory for the kind of crumbling of their relationship, but I I think that is why Todd is a lot more willing to just be like, who cares? But Rory struggles with the idea of what their relationship would look like because it doesn't look like what other people expect it to. And like you said, she can change her boundaries, what she wants. If she decides that she wants sex and that's not something that she wants with him or that's not something he's willing to give her, then that's not going to work in the way that it might work in a, in a different relationship. And I mean, you know, we have the big grand gesture at the end, which is honestly one of the funniest scenes because, <laughs> yes. you know, he's, first of all, if you're a Gilmore Girls fan, he has brought her a thousand yellow daisies. There's a flash mob. He has a big speech in which Madison pointed out earlier. He says, you know, if sex is really important to you, I can learn to eat you out. <laughs> <laughs> but he also, uh, another important is that he also tells her like, I love you and I'm willing to do pretty much anything for you. If you were sick and you made a mess, I would clean you up. I, yeah, I wouldn't want to. Ideally, we'd have a nurse to help. But in an emergency, <laughs> I was the only one there and I want to grow old with you and I want you in my life. 
so yeah, it's it makes you wonder like what would have happened. Like it almost seems like it's presented as a bad thing when they have that argument about Grammy award-winning artist Alanis Morissette. She says, this isn't a real relationship. We're just playing house. And I feel like it's important that that idea isn't necessarily true. I feel like it's something that's been put on the table by everybody else. Now, granted, they have sort of been living in a bubble. They've been isolated from these other people with their opinions. But I also think it's important to note that like people always want to be like, it's unrealistic. Like you're setting yourself up for failure because you're not you're not living in the real world. But the real world in this particular case, it's something they have to confront, not because it's important to every relationship, but because the rest of the world is forcing them to consider that their relationship is somehow less than because it doesn't subscribe to certain expectations. And after they have sex for the first time, they have a conversation where they decide, actually, you know what? We don't want to ruin our relationship with sex. We're just going to keep going on. And who cares? You know, they sort of talk about like there are other couples that, you know, eventually don't have sex and they're still happy they throw out some kind of bullshit statistics i actually think it's really funny for both of them being so intelligent i don't know if they both do it todd definitely does we'll throw out like these facts or statistics that aren't actually true i mean he'll he'll cop to it he says that they're not real but those are very funny moments it's like the running joke of 70 percent of statistics are made up on the spot yeah yeah and you just choose a different number every time exactly which is why we don't allow statistics to advertise on our podcast we are not supported by statistics we don't believe in them (laughs) so you usually have fixes to a movie and some have multitudes for me i have one fix for this and i want rory to just have a single friend just one friend yes i yeah I think that would improve the film, yeah. Yeah, because I think she needs a point of normalcy and someone that she can talk to. It's weird. There are things in your life that it's like the running paradox of when like when you're in a relationship with someone and you have a big fight with them. And this could be like any like in-depth relationship. It doesn't have to be romantic. But, you know, if you're really pissed off at them or they did something that made you so, so sad and all you want to do is talk to them about it, which seems so antithetical to what you feel you should be doing, it feels like that's the last person you want to talk to because you're mad at them or they upset you and they're the only person that you want to turn to because they're usually your comfort person. And it's really weird. And you see the loss of this relationship obviously hurts her. We get a lot more view of how it affects Todd. But I really just wanted her to have a friend and just have a moment where she can have another point of vulnerability. Because she doesn't even really have that with her mom. You know, they don't have a relationship. Her mom's, you know, off gallivanting, saving lives all around the world. And you get like little bits of it through the voicemails that she leaves her talking about how stuff isn't really going well but it's so sarcastic that I just wanted her to have another point of friendship that she could be genuinely vulnerable
vulnerable with other than Todd. That's my only fix. I think that's a good fix. Her having a friend, the outside expectations aren't coming from, or it, at least as far as we're concerned, aren't coming from anyone except for his friends and family, the people in his circle. Yeah, so I almost want like a sympathetic friend who is telling her it doesn't fucking matter you are happy it doesn't fucking matter just to have someone else sort of reinforce that for her even if it doesn't pan out at the end or even like a roommate or something where yes I think this film could be improved if Rory had somebody within her circle. Whether or not that person was supportive or not, I feel like it would have added something for her character. And now I'm just projecting. Even like maybe an older sister that she has a slightly antagonistic relationship with, you know, with a more like storied past of their relationship sort of weaving in and out of like good standing you know regardless of what that standing is she can text her sister and be like I am just immeasurably sad tonight and I needed someone to know that and I can't tell Todd because he's the reason why and so you don't want to like pile that on because that sounds shitty but you need someone who's not gonna judge you and an older sister that you have a slightly antagonistic relationship with she will not judge you that's what this film needed (laughs) this film needed my sister damn it shout out to my older sister she knows where we stand i'm not telling her anything new i'm not sharing anything she doesn't know with the world Yeah, you know, the other day I was talking to my mom and she was like, I was going to tell your grandmother to listen to the podcast, but you know, you said that thing about her in episode two. And I was like, okay, it's so well established that Grammy's on my shit list. Like I, (laughs) I literally didn't say anything that I haven't said to her face. So we're two very straightforward people. If we're going to talk shit about you, we're talking shit to you because we're straight shooters. I love that. I I still love that your grandmother's on your shit list. (laughs) I love her to death, but I have many grudges that I'm holding and several of them are against my grandmother. (laughs) You know what? Same. (laughs) Uh, Although I don't think that, I don't think that my grandmother, I don't think anyone would tip her off. You know, maybe, maybe my older sister, now that I've referred to our relationship as antagonistic on the air, she'll be like, you know what, I'm going to drive her around and we're just going to listen to this shit. (laughs) Like, I can totally see her doing that. That'd be amazing. Kate, don't do it. I feel like now is as good a time as any to ask the most important question we can ask. Is Straight Up a romantic comedy? To remind everyone, we have criteria that we use to determine if the films we watch are indeed a rom-com. Those criteria are as follows. Do they date? Do we witness moments where the implied romantic pairing is moved along by elements of courtship, whether that be like a literal date or you just see a natural progression of the relationship build? Then we have, did we laugh? Meaning, is this a comedy? And then finally, does love conquer the plot? Although, Madison, I texted you this past weekend and I said that I actually think it would be better for us to ask the question, is love in the driver's seat? Meaning, is that what drives the story forward? And I feel like 
We also said that about dating, but I but that's more about witnessing the connection on screen. And I feel like you can have dating without love being in the driver's seat of the film. So here is the romance, is the love story what's moving the action in the film along? Is it integral to the story from start to finish? It's what gets you from A to B. I think to start off, I mean, they very clearly do date. They are actively going out on date, like, you know, very literal dates. Um, They have documentary nights where they eat Mongolian to be Alanis Morissette. That level of ironic. The whole movie is sort of focused on their courtship. Can this man date a woman? You know, the underlying basic plot. But yeah, so they do absolutely date. Yes. I feel like that's not really a question. And then also, did we laugh? Yes. Oh, fuck yeah. And and also, not just us, but it's very clear where there are joke setups. I also... Highly recommend, if you haven't watched the movie at this point, I would recommend watching it with the subtitles on. They do talk very quickly, and you probably will miss some of really well-thought-out jokes because they are just, they don't they don't wait for you to laugh. They are moving on to the next joke, which is honestly, like, kudos to the, the writing of this film. There's a lot of really good lines. Yeah, that's why I really like Jared Kiso's writing. It's that same thing of, I'm hitting you with the punchline as I'm setting you up for the next one. You're processing the first while I'm starting the second, and it's just, oh, it's glorious. And let me tell you, the funniest shit to me was the conversation they had about shooting a baby and i'm will this get us banned i i i don't think so no okay yeah we're not we're not sponsored by the concept so it's fine they asked the question basically like if you are handed a gun and told you either had to shoot yourself or shoot like this unknown baby what do you do and the answer was like well i'll shoot the baby i mean the amount like there's so many resources that have already gone into making me i'm college educated all of this stuff i've been raised i've been in therapy that sort of thing and then you have this larva who it would take so many more resources to build this back up so it's like the economic decision is to shoot the baby instead of yourself and dude that was the most fucked up conversation and definitely a conversation that I could see myself having with honestly any member of my friend group except for maybe my friend Lily she'd probably be like that's too dark and too morbid but no I thought that was fucking funny and the what reason why it was so funny other than the obvious is just it's so ridiculous it is so ludicrous of a conversation and I loved it so yes I fucking laughed All right, so they date, we laughed. Is love in the driver's seat? I feel like this is hard. It's very obvious that their relationship to each other, that's what this film is all about. It's very obvious that their desire to be in each other's lives is what's keeping the story going. But I think the trick here with what we're asking is, is that love romantic through and through? I think there's an argument that it is romantic, but I also think... Partly because of the ambiguous ending and partly because of the conflict this entire movie is dealing with. It's difficult to say whether or not this is entirely based in romance. When considering this, 
my thoughts really honed down just to the idea of I would more so in like a broad strokes look classify this movie as more of like a self-discovery of a character through the lens of a relationship and what that means for him, what that means for Todd. But I will say that I have at least one movie picked out in the future, so you guys look forward to it, where they don't end up together at the end. But the entire plot was driven by the time they spent together and the relationship that was formed. So I think that it would actually do a disservice to the movie to not classify it as a romantically driven movie because in my opinion the relationship is clearly romantic and the relationship is quintessential to the plot even if I believe that the plot at large is about self-discovery if you took away the lens of the relationship the discovery wouldn't happen so it has to be is it weird and non-traditional? Yes. But that does not mean that love did not drive this movie. And so again, for the third time, I say, I'm winning. <laughs> I know. Here's the thing, guys. I, I'm actually a paid actor. Uh, I don't get paid a lot. But I'm a paid actor who just, I'm here to make Chelsea look good. And let me tell you, she's looking fresh to death in every way. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, the, you're, it's like the Truman Show, but you're in on it. And it's actually nothing like the Truman Show. <laughs> when I was younger, I don't know if you ever did this to Marissa. This might just be a special brand of nasty and evil that me and my older sister did to my little sister because I'm a middle child. We used to tell her that she was adopted and then we would also sometimes tell her that we were actually just paid actors. We weren't actually related to her. We were just like acting as if we were her sisters and she still brings it up. She's nearly 20 years old now. So if you think that that didn't do lasting damage, you are wrong. <laughs> No, actually, my younger sister, who was in episode three, she's the one that was mean to me growing up. We're <gasps> nice. not that we're 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 just under two years apart in age. Kind of this is on me. But I recall we would play like princess or whatever. And she would always want to be the princess. And then I'd be like, but I want to be the princess and you can be the prince. And she's like, well, I'll tell you what you well, I'll be the princess first and then we'll switch. But when it came time to switch, she's like, I don't want to play anymore. She did it. <laughs> All the time. And I know what she's thinking right this moment. Because when I say this, when I when I say about all of this hardship that I've I've endured at the hands of my younger sister, she'll be like, I saved your life because one time a mattress fell on top of me when I was like five or six. But it was one of those things that like adrenaline, like her sister was <laughs> in danger. And so she lifted this mattress off of me. So yeah, I know that the, in this moment, as I'm complaining about her just being awful, she's like, I saved your life, bitch. Me and my little sister, we're best friends now. We have matching tattoos. Like, it's all of the childhood trauma I gave her. It's fine now. It's Gucci. I have to ask you a question because in my research so that I could be just oh so prepared as this is 
my episode where I am in control and the most important person <laughs> ever. <laughs> I came across this uh, review from the Los Angeles Times and the reviewer called it a bi-curious take on when Harry met Sally for the millennial crowd. And my question for you is, will I like Harry met Sally? Or should I disregard ever reading that review because it will give me unrealistic expectations of whatever is in store for New Year's. I would honestly rather you just forget that ever existed. I want you to come in to When Harry Met Sally with your expectations. I don't want the bar on the floor. Chelsea, I want it in hell. Okay? (laughs) I want it at the core of the earth because I don't want you to hate it because it is my favorite movie ever and I know that we're gonna have criticisms of it okay Uh, your favorite children aren't unflawed all right my aunt recently texted me and said I don't want you to watch when Harry met Sally because I don't want you to ruin it (laughs) and I was like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh So there's a lot riding on that episode when we get there. I was about to say, like, I think on our calendar, that's actually the last one that we record for our, like, set out planned calendar to date. Um, And I think that we haven't done anything past that because it's like, this may shred us apart. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's like, I don't even know if it's worth planning because it might just ruin our friendship. We'll never speak again. The podcast will die and we'll just slink off into obscurity. And then 10 years from now, children that discover, you know, Little teenagers that discover the podcast online will just be like, whatever happened to Chelsea and Madison? And it will be the great When Harry Met Sally calamity that just broke us up. Oh, God. No, I think we'll survive it. I'm honestly half expecting us to get closer and you just be like, just kidding. I have a different movie for us to watch for New Year's. No, it it has it has to be when Harry met Sally. It has to be. It's the best New Year's movie. It's the best rom com. <sighs> Chelsea, I feel like it's obvious. What's our watchability score for Straight Up? And in case anyone is just now tuning in, one where the fuck have you been? Uh, I'm kidding. I'm glad you're here. For anyone who doesn't know, our watchability score is based off of Zillow's walkability score. It's a one to five scale. And number one is Stranded in the Desert. This movie has left you beyond the reaches of civilization. Two is Backroads Barbecue, where you're going to get great food, um, but you might not leave with all your teeth. Number three is Strip Mall in Suburbia. Number four is four blocks from a transit stop. And five is that the best coffee is downstairs. Madison, again for the fourth time, I'm winning. And I'm giving this my first five. Best coffee in town, right downstairs. This movie's, I enjoy it a lot. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it my first five. I feel nervous giving it a five. Like I feel like the automatic need to step it back just a half step and be like, well maybe the best coffee is next door. You know, like a four point seven five. Don't be a coward, Madison. I know. I you're right. You're right. I need to be brave, not to go off on another tangent. But I saw do you know Ghost Honey? They're uh, I love on Ghost Honey, TikTok. yeah. Ghost Honey has a great podcast, too, called Ghost Honey's Dream Machine. If you haven't listened to it, it's really, really good. Uh, They have the most sonorous voice ever. It's just 
delicious. But um, they tweeted something the other day, and I can't remember what it was, but it was something, like, really mundane, and they're like, I was so brave. Like, that's so brave of me. <laughs> and so I've just been saying that all the time. Like, I went, on Saturday, I went to Target and the grocery store, and I voted. Vote, people. It's important. And on top of that, I went to the library. So I went four places and I was talking with, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I was like, that was so brave of me. So you know what? I'm giving this a five. The best coffee is downstairs. They have oat milk at no extra cost. That was so brave of me. I don't mean to burst your bubble, but by the time this episode comes out, it will be past election day. (laughs) Hey, there are more. No, 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 that's true. True. It's very important. Please vote in all elections uh, for which you are eligible to vote for. Let's keep democracy alive because it's holding on by a thread. And Chelsea, people shouldn't only vote in elections. Yes, that's right. Every Thursday, we have a fun little poll having to do with the most recent episode. And you can partake and tell us what you think. Yay or nay, Hugh Grant pelvic thrusts. I voted yay. I voted nay, and the nays had it. I won. Cast your vote, people. In our Instagram story on Thursdays. You can follow us on Twitter at the Laughs Pod. That's T-H-E-L-A-F-S-P-O-D. You can find us on Instagram and vote in those very important polls at Love It for Screening. Or you can send us a note to loveitforscreening at gmail.com and recommend that we watch and possibly ruin that that is the the fine print. If you're going to request we we watch a movie, you do so at your own risk. Um, But maybe we'll love it. Who knows? If you write in and recommend that we watch straight up again, I'll do it. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) She'll straight up do it, man. Straight up do it. Well, also, Chelsea, I want to remind everyone um, to follow us, uh, you know, follow along with our pod. You can follow us on Spotify. You can follow us on Apple Music, on Anchor. You can rate and review us if you love us. Five stars. And if you hate us, please give me that sexy, sexy one star. But please tell me why. I want to know, is it my upspeak? Is it my vocal fry? Is it our wokeism? God, I want to know. I want to know what to play up. Madison is nothing if not petty. If I had a roller derby name, it'd be Petty LaBelle. I love that. I wish I was a roller derby star, but I can't skate for shit. All right. Well, Chelsea, what are we watching next time? I don't know because I have ended my, uh, (laughs) it's no longer my job. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I'll let you in on a little secret that I know. We're going to keep this queer rom-com train moving on. And it'll be another movie where we don't know ahead of time if it's really a rom-com or not. We'll have to discuss that. Because we're going to be watching The Birdcage, which I know for a fact that you're at least going to fucking laugh at. All right. Everybody who's, you know, keeping score, watching along, watch The Birdcage to get ready next week. Or don't if you don't want to and you just want to hear us talk about it. I don't care. Yeah, we'll give you a recap. And besides, you should want to watch it. It's Nathan Lane. It's Robin Williams. You know, rest his soul. 
Sorry, I needed to have a moment of silence. But Chelsea, I'm just I'm just so excited. Look, the fastest way to get me to watch something is to tell me it's gay. That's just a blanket thing. That's what you should lead with. I don't watch scary things really at all because I'm a big wimp when it comes to that kind of stuff. I have really, really vivid nightmares, so I don't need any extra fuel. And Chelsea goes, The Haunting of Bly Manor. It's gay. And I said, immediately, yes. Immediately, yes. Did I have some horrific nightmares afterwards? Because my brain was like, ooh, fodder. Delicious. Yes, I did, Chelsea. But was it worth it? For the Los Gibbities? Yes. Yes, it was. Now I got to get you to watch Yellow Jackets, which is also a little spooky. Not really spooky. It's definitely more thrillery, but it, it's there's there's some creepy things going on. If it's gay, I'm there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's gay. Why would I be mentioning if it wasn't? <laughs> <laughs> also, if anyone could write in and give me um, some more queer rom-coms to read... I've already read everything Casey McQuiston has ever written. I love them so much. I have read both boyfriend material and husband material by Alexis Hall, and I am about to read Delilah Green Doesn't Care. Please send me more. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Until next time.